Uh, grace to you, friend, for taking the time to listen to today's next installment of your playlist to victory. Uh, today we are on Psalm 133, and uh, this is called track number 15, Unity Blessed. Unity Blessed. Uh, you'll be delighted today by the scope of God's graces. Um, also, the King Hezekiah's narrative is going to take on a whole new dimension today. A whole new dimension. Uh, in fact, our hearts will be called to a greater scope and a whole new dimension of grace and challenge. It's, it's like a small jab that makes a big difference. <laughs> this three-verse psalm is going to make a massive difference. It just exposes something completely new about King Hezekiah, uh, his context, and will shed light on our context, I do believe, in a very significant way. In a very significant way. All right, let's read together from Psalm 133, starting from verse 1. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. And just so far, may God bless the reading of his word today. All right, friends, we've got to get our hands around and our heads through a, a few dimensions here to grasp the inertia of this psalm. Okay, it is, as you can see, David's psalm. So what's David's context? All right, David is expressing his delight, his delight in that all 12 tribes of Israel were uniting as one under his rule. Now, when David was anointed king after Saul's death, um, only the tribe of Judah recognized him. You remember, all the other tribes did not recognize David. They, they recognized uh, Ishbosheth, the only surviving son of King Saul. This division resulted in huge hostility, civil war, between the house of Saul and the house of David. But after the murder of King Saul's son Ishbosheth by his own commanders, then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and they said, you know, quote, Behold, we are your bone and your flesh. You know, we're, we're one. So the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, King David, and they made a covenant and they anointed King David over Israel. All right, he consolidated the kingdoms. Uh, he moved the capital from Hebron to Jerusalem. He moved the Ark of the Covenant, which we touched on last week. And it was one of his greatest goals um, to have that Ark of the Covenant in Jerusalem. And by doing so, he also united the 12 tribes of Israel in the worship of Jehovah. And, and Psalm 133 is an expression of that beautiful accomplishment and that unity and that worship in God. Okay, now King Hezekiah takes the psalm because it couldn't be better said for what's happened to him and what he's experienced. Okay, uh, and he has reunited the 12 tribes because after David, David's son Solomon, Solomon dies. 
Okay, and guess what? The north and south divide again. They, they divide again. Now, King Hezekiah is a teenager at this time, in, in this period of division. Okay, that's how long the division lasted after Solomon's death. They divided, and when they divided, it didn't go well either. It wasn't a peaceful, amicable division. Um, the northern kingdom attacked the southern kingdom. They attacked. Uh, on one day, 120,000 warriors were killed. 200,000 people taken to captivity. There is intense hatred and animosity between the north and the south. And King Hezekiah grew up with this. This was the culture of the day. All right? And so when he became king over the southern kingdom of Judah, both nations, uh, you know, at the time of him taking over the reign, both nations are in idolatry, immorality, inhumanity. Uh, there is judgment on both kingdoms. And the Assyrians had pretty much taken over the northern kingdom and the Assyrians were making their way into the southern kingdom, which we've referred to on a, n- a number of occasions. Okay. But it was held off. It was held off some by, by a way because King Hezekiah had brought great reform to the southern kingdom. Okay, so I want to say that there was a taste. King Hezekiah had a taste for this unity in Jerusalem. Uh, they, they had somewhat come together against their enemies, the Assyrians. Um, Although the Assyrians had done their best to divide them, you remember that they had sent letters with lies and threats. They even met at the wall of Jerusalem, speaking in their language to sort of cause a bit of division, trying to create distrust between God's people and particularly between King Hezekiah and his people. Okay, But the people of Jerusalem stayed united in that crisis. Uh, and we know what took place. We know the great victory that took place. All right. So there was a taste of this unity in King Hezekiah's experience as they grew under the authority of God, as they made God the center of their worship. King Hezekiah, had it it was a treat to see such great reform taking place in the southern kingdom. It was a great treat. It was a great delight. It was tested when the Assyrians came. All right. But King Hezekiah had a taste and he wanted more. He wanted more. He, he wasn't satisfied that Jerusalem had a taste of this victory. And it, although it was tested and they overcome, now King Hezekiah, he has a greater dream. He wants all 12 tribes uh, together again. And, and that, that is a big, big deal. Considering what Hezekiah himself has grown up with, uh, considering the context that he was facing, the culture that he had been brought up in, and what he himself had experienced. He had experienced some of this trauma that was taking place between the north and the south. But he wants this victory. All right. And so, and it, it's good to get this background. You'll recall that in King Hezekiah's reforms, they had celebrated the Passover, remember? For the first time in a long time. And then what did he do? He extended an invitation to the northern kingdom and said, come. And they did come. And that seven-day Passover festival turned into a 14-day feast. <laughs> it's like they said, now let's do it again. And they literally 
did it again. There was never a Passover experienced to that standard before or again. So King Hezekiah, he couldn't say it better than how King David had put it. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. He had, ta- he had a treat of this. He had a test of this. And he tasted this himself with all 12 tribes coming together. And as David explained, it is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hammond were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. People sing it, sing it, sing it, sing it, know it, know it, know it, live it, live it, live it. This is a reality. This is a truth. Despite the, the, the odds, despite the culture, despite the animosity, despite the bloodshed, the cruelty, the crisis, the animosity, the malice, despite it all, the reality of a blessing from God, the reality of a unity in God, the reality of experiencing the blessedness, the goodness of unity is a greater reality if, if we will trust in God. So that's King David's experience. This is King Hezekiah's experience hundreds of years later. And friends, this is a glimpse. It's a glimpse in our Bible, as you could say, in the thick of the Bible. I mean, look where your Bible is now. It's in the middle, right in the middle. And guess what we find? We find the reality of unity in God and its potential and its calling forward for you and I. So that's why I've called it Unity Blessed. It is a song we need to keep close to our hearts, friends, even in this day, even if not more so today, despite the challenges, the culture, the context, the crisis. Friends, this is our song. Amen. Our song in Jesus Christ is this unity and this unity from God in God and with others is our it's our anthem going forward. It's what we're looking forward to. So it's an understatement in verse three to say Even life forevermore. That's putting it just lightly. This is where we're going, friends. This is where we're going. And as we look around, and I know perhaps you're listening to this, you're not in church today, but you know the body, and I would call you to come to church again to experience this unity in community. So what are some lessons for us today to take forward it? All right? The first lesson is this, that, uh, just look at verse 1, and you can circle the words good, pleasant, unity. Look at those three words again, good, pleasant, unity. You know why we need to look at this again and again and again and again? Because everything else is telling us that our individualism, our isolation, our autonomy, okay, is good and pleasant. It is not. It is not. What is good and pleasant is unity. I'm going to say it again. Good, pleasant, unity. Unity, good, pleasant. Good, pleasant, unity. Unity, good, pleasant. Pleasant is unity and that is good. (laughs) Look at it over and over and you need to stamp this into your soul. Okay? And not unity for unity's sake. Okay? In the middle of those three words, we've got the word God. God. So this good, pleasing unity is all based in God. 
And, and that's the first point. Only in God, in the Heavenly Father, in His Word, is there a basis for unity, for this good in unity, for this pleasantness in unity. What is good? It is good. What ought to be? What ought to be is what God requires, and that is it's our duty to be in unity, to maintain unity. This is what ought to be. This is what God requires of us. This is what is G-O-O-D. That is what's good. Get it? Let's take this home. And you apply that immediately to your context in your marriage. What is good for your marriage? Unity. What is good for your parenting? Unity. What's good for your family? Unity. What's good for your, your working about? Unity. What's good for your church? Unity. That's what is good. It's what ought to be in God. In God. In His Word. And it, it's not just good. It's going to be pleasant. In other words, it's going to be an experience for you that is good. An experience for you that is delightful. That is pleasurable. It's going to be good for you. It's going to feel good. <laughs> it, we couldn't be more human when we're walking in unity. Experiencing unity in God and experiencing unity with others. This is what God wants for us. And as the psalm, as it echoes in other psalms, how blessed is the man who fears the Lord and, and runs to his commands. You are blessed. This is good and this is pleasant, uh, pleasing. The, everything else is chaotic. Everything else will be crisis. Everything else will be death. Everything outside of God will be death. Everything outside of God will be disunity, divided. But in God, in God is true unity. True unity. And King Hezekiah can't say it better. He can't say it better. And it was described of King Hezekiah in 2 Kings chapter 18. How, how, did he, how does he have this? This is how he has it and how you and I can have it. 2 Kings verse 18, uh, 2 Kings 18 verse 5. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. Hmm? Who's the boss? God is the boss. He's king, but he knows he's a small fish. God is king. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. I'm a small thing. He's a big thing. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses. And the Lord was with him. That's the key right there. So, this unity is grasped, there's an authority, an allegiance to God. Okay, I mean, this goes right back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 2, where God said, it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. Okay, God intends His created people, His creation to be in harmony, to live in relationship. Even God Himself is not isolated and autonomous. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one. And into that we're invited. Into that we're recreated. Into that we are called forward. Okay? Into that. 
So you get the scope of this unity. It's massive. It goes way back into our beginnings. You can then fast forward all the way into uh, the post-church where Jesus is praying for his church. Remember what Jesus prayed when he, before he ascended? Lord, make them one as we are one, Lord. Make them one. Unity, unity, unity. And we get a glimpse of what we're called forward to. That's where we're going. That's where we're going. All those in Jesus Christ are headed to perfect unity. Unity. Culture may make unity a small thing. And I know we may see very few glimpses of unity. I mean, where is unity? All the <laughs> Where is unity? How many political parties do we have? Oh, who knows? And even in those political parties, there's no unity. How many churches do we have? Who knows? Even in those churches, there's no unity. How many families do we have? Who knows? But in those families, there's disunity. Marriages. Where are the glimpses of unity? But friends, make no mistake. It doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It doesn't mean it's not a truth. It's not a power. It's not a potential. It's not a reality. It is a reality in God. That starts with God and in God and for God. All right. And I'll give you another reason why it comes from that authority. Because look at the direction. Verse 2. Poured on his head. Running down on his beard. Running down. Running down. This, this unity comes from top to bottom. Top to bottom. Okay. It, in, in David's context. In King Hezekiah's context. In Israel's context. It's God. Moses. Aaron. People of God. Alright. There's the flow. God. Moses. Aaron. People of God. That's where this unity comes down. It goes in that direction. It starts in God, goes through His His chosen, His called leadership and leadership to His people. And that's the same for us. There's a flow to this unity. There's a flow in this line of authority to stay in the protection of God, in the graces of God, in, in the power of God. There's, there's a flow and you must sink into that flow. Into that flow. 2 Chronicles 30, verse 12. I just want to read that. 2 Chronicles 30, verse 12. Also in Judah, the hand of God was on the people to give them unity of mind to carry out what the king and his officials had ordered following the word of the Lord. So there, there's the flow. The word of the Lord to the king and the officials to be carried out by the people of Judah. And when that flow is acknowledged, when it's in sync, what, what is the experience? Not only is it good, okay, but it is pleasant because it says the hand of God was on the people. You want the hand of God on your life starts with God listening to his word, complying getting in line with God and His Word and God's leadership, God's people, working hand in hand in them and with others. That's where it goes. That's where it starts. That's where it goes. That's what God calls us to. You can read that again in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 from verse 11. So Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach the unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. 
This is not a weak thing. It's not a loss. We, we're not losing by submitting ourselves to one another in Christ. We're not losing. It's great gain. It's great gain for us to comply to God, to humble ourselves before God and before each other, and particularly God's structure. God has a structure. He is a form. You know, like birds that are migrating, they're all flying at the same level, but they're flying in a, in a form, in a formation. There's those at the, at the front, there's those in the middle, and those at the end. That formation. And similarly with God's people, particularly God's church, has a formation. All equal before God, all flying at the same height, all with the same uh, abilities and context, but there's a form. And it's flying in that form. Versus the culture of the today, which is just, you know, isolated, fragmented, autonomy, do what I want, I come first. Friends, they couldn't be further from blessing. You couldn't be further from blessing if you keep uh, uh, authority at, at arm's length. If you keep your leaders at arm's length. If you keep God at arm's length. You, you just undercut yourself. Humility is a blessed position. It's a blessed disposition. Unity is a gift from God. It's a gift and it's for everybody. From big to small, it's a blessing for all. All without uh, uh, discrimination. Whether you're king or a servant. Whether you're, whether you're the boss or the employee. Whether you're the husband or the wife. The child or the parent. There is a, a member uh, uh, you know, or, or a regular member or uh, you hold office in the church. Whether you're standing on public platforms and doing ministry or invisible platforms doing ministry. Friends, the blessing of God is for everyone equally. Everyone can taste a bit of heaven. Everyone. And I want to really punt the reality of this disunity. And we could spend 80% of the sermon talking about disunity, but you've got enough of it on your phones. You've got enough of it on the TV. You hear enough of it. You've probably experienced enough of the disunity I don't want to give that another minute. Look at your Bible again. Three verses talking about this glorious gift of unity. It's there in your Bible. It's there in God. And it's there under your nose. If you will have it. If you have it. For everyone. That starts with God and it flows with God. That's God's flow. That's His direction. Okay? And that. For it to grow, I mean, that's what verse 3 is. Look at it. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. Now, the dew of Hermon is a beautiful picture. It is the tallest peak, okay, in the Middle East. And what's in the Middle East? Nothing. Nothing's in the Middle East. It's just wilderness and desert. But this tall peak, because it's so tall, okay, into the cold air, it, it pricks. And there's a dew point. That cold air settles, it converts and precipitates onto the mountain. And if you look at the tip of that, it's like flourishing. That mountain flourishes. Everything on that mountain is flourishing because there's a consistent provision of water and life amidst the wilderness. And that life is falling on Mount Zion, on God's people, God's blessing, that continual life support, that fertility that productivity, that significance. You know, it's a glimpse of Psalm 1. But it's Psalm 1. I just want to get it straight. 
Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step of the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Okay? Those people give a rip about unity. But those who delight in the law of the Lord, who meditate on His law day and night, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. That's another way of putting it. So God, God is just desiring us, His children. And King Hezekiah wants them to sing the song again as David was singing it, that they... They need to maintain this attitude of love because if they were to hold this value up high, hold this value up high and the dew will fall. And when the dew of God falls, it's going to bless you. It's going to anoint you in, in, in a sense. You hold this value up. Keep your love towards God. Keep your love towards others. Keep your love. Don't we need the song today? We need the song we need the song in our context even more so today. The church is kindling with disunity. It's, it is just waiting to ignite. Why? Because it's full of people. <laughs> Wherever there's a group of people, there's a perfect problem. Uh, I mean, what can divide us? You can see a thousand things that could divide you from the person sitting next to you. We all have a hundred preferences. We have different personalities, different cultures, different crises, different responses to crises, different interpretations of the truth. I mean, we, it's unending what could make us divided. But friends, don't look at that this morning. Look at this song. Sing this song that in God you can transcend all these differences right now, right now, you have everything in God to love that person next to you perfectly. And if it's your wife, it is. If it's your husband, if it's your child, if it's a stranger, even if it's your enemy, if it's a church member you don't even know, you have everything in God to be fully united to that person. Believe it, friends. Believe it. And you could be that due to them. You could be the, the, the life to them. And it's just remaining in this love of God and giving this love air, giving it space. Then we do disagree. I mean, we've got different opinions on vaccines, different opinions on masks, different opinions on COVID, different opinions on everything. Everything. But what's greater than our disagreements is your love for Him. Amen. You need to tell yourself that. Your opinion is not good and pleasant. Only unity is what is good and pleasant. Alright? You might be right in your mind. You might have every rationale, every reason and everything locked up and stitched tight. But you may not know what is good and pleasing because you don't have unity. It might escape you. And that's often the experience of the most experienced Christians. They have it all, but they have nothing because they don't have unity. And I want you, friends, I don't, it doesn't matter how long you've been walking with God, 
I want you to know and experience as King David, as King Hezekiah did, as the people of God did, the hand of God, the dew of Hermon can be upon your life. But it's in unity, in unity with God, in unity under the leadership that God has put together, in unity with God's word, in unity with God's spirit, in unity with God's people. That's where it is. That's where you're going to experience the hand of God, the dew of Hermon. taste of heaven holding on to that two chronicles 30 25 to 27 this is how it went for them the entire assembly of judah rejoiced along with the priests and Levites and all who had assembled from Israel. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of different people. Including the foreigners who had come from Israel and also those who had resided in Judah. There was great joy in Jerusalem. For since the days of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. The priests and the Levites stood to bless the people and God heard them for their prayer reached heaven. His holy dwelling place. You want your prayers answered. You want God to hear you. It starts by. It starts by stop, stopping being God of your life. And putting God in your life. And then it starts. It doesn't stop there. It's putting other people in your life. Coming together with others. Coming together. You know the one that you need to come together with. You know that. That's where it is. And that's where the heaven's doors open. That's where the blessing of God is. That's where God is near. In God, in His Word, in His Spirit, in community. That's what worship is. That's what worship is. What a powerful little song, eh? One last thing as we close. That all these things need to be embraced simultaneously. Okay? Uh, if you attempt to create an atmosphere of unity, but you disregard the authority and direction of where unity flows, it's going to bring confusion. Um, if you follow the direction of unity, but abandon the atmosphere in which it grows, which is love, you will smother unity and unity will die. All three lessons have to be embraced. You've got to bow to God's authority, respect unity's direction, and realize the importance of love. Realize the importance. And I want to con conclude with a reading from Ephesians 2, verse 14. How are we going? Where, where do we start? We start with Jesus. Ephesians 2 verse 14. For he, that's Jesus, himself is our peace. How is he our peace? He, sorry, who was made, has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. 
and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. So how is this unity initiated? It's initiated in Christ. He destroys the barriers. He gets you right with God and He gets you right with one another and puts us into one body. Now that was a Jewish and Gentile context. But friends, we know where this is leading. Black or white, rich or poor, knowledgeable or unknowledgeable. No matter if they've got a mask or not a mask, vaccinated or not vaccinated. No matter what their conspiracy about COVID is. Friends, we are one. Jesus makes us one in Him and calls us forward to be one. And that's how we are going to demonstrate. That's how we are going to demonstrate the power, the character, and the grace of God to our community. Would you sing the song with me this morning? Would you take it to heart and would you pledge your heart afresh to God? Say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Would you pledge your heart afresh to your wife, or your husband, your family? Pledge your heart. Yes, say yes, Lord. Would you pledge your heart to your church members and say yes, Lord? Maybe you have been isolated. Maybe your differences of opinion have brought a, a, maybe a bit of difference. Distance brings difference. It need not be like that from this day on. That barrier, that distance, that difference can come crashing down if you would just stand in God, trust in God, and walk in God. And may David's experience, King Hezekiah's experience, Judah's experience be our experience in the name of Jesus Christ today. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for this small jab. And I pray that it would make a big difference to all of us. Lord, I pray that you would first start in us. All those that are attending and listening connected to ABC, I pray that you would make our fellowship authentic. Not just that we all agree and like Jesus, but that we all follow and listen to Jesus. Not that we all just agree and like one another, but that we all are united and in love in one another. Father, give us the capacity to love anyone and everyone, no matter our differences. Give us that blessing. May your hand rest upon ABC. May your hand rest upon every family that's connected to ABC. May there never be a day where our differences cause disunity. And Lord, where there is disagreement and there will be differences of opinion, we are robust theologically. We are robust with our personalities and our knowledge. That's fine. But Father... All of that comes second 
It comes second to maintaining our relationships to one another. Our opinions will never trump our love for one another. Our experiences will never trump our love for one another. Our knowledge will not trump our love for one another. Dear God, we need a miracle in this department and we are forever trusting in you. Keep us in your love. Help us to maintain an atmosphere of love and unity. And I do pray, God, as you did for Hezekiah, that you would bring great revival to our community because they see our love for one another is authentic and genuine. Open these doors for us as a church, Lord. Break our shallow love. Break our, our pretensions. Break our prejudices. Break our pride. Break our weaknesses. Help us to walk humbly before you and with one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.